A new illustrated book covers extraterrestrial civilizations visiting our Earth. JP has released a video on the Artemis Accords and of life throughout our solar system. An update on the historical UFO report that is required by the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023 is about to be released. Tom DeLonge claims that multiple gods are connected to UFOs and that these are responsible for global conflict. Former Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent Richard Doty claims that there are only five extraterrestrial species visiting the Earth. Credible sources tell investigative journalist Christopher Sharp that a key office in the Pentagon is stifling further UFO whistleblower testimonies from coming forward. There have been five top remote viewers who have focused on the coming rapture, the harvest, or the event. There's been a discovery of a huge treasure trove of gold plates in an ancient castle somewhere in the frozen domain of the United States. And these and other stories on ExoPolitics Today, the Week in Review. You're listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Welcome to the Week in Review for ExoPolitics Today. There's quite a few stories, and let's see how quickly I can get through these. I, I aim to do it all within an hour, so hopefully I can do that uh, this week. So I want to begin with a new book that's just come out. It is by Elena Danan. It's an illustrated book uh, that's really designed for the reader to identify different extraterrestrial civilizations that are illustrated in the book. I mean, Elena is a, a very good artist and she has used her original sketches along with some uh, updates featuring uh, AI and her own artwork to be able to come up with a, a unique set of pictures or illustrations for the different extraterrestrial civilizations. And so this is uh, uh, a really useful tool for star seeds that want to reconnect with their civilizations. Uh, star seeds, uh, I will assume that many watching this week in review see themselves as star seeds. So this is a, a great way for you to be able to kind of leaf through all of, all of these illustrations of uh, different extraterrestrials and say, oh, okay, this one kind of like most resonates with me so uh the illustrated book is called encyclopedia galactica i just received my copy i'm going to be doing an interview with elena uh, very soon and it is something that is well worth getting so more on that in my interview with elena coming out next week okay so here's a video by jp commenting on the Artemis Accords and the hidden codes it represents uh, concerning ET life uh, throughout our solar system. So uh, JP uh, continues to serve in uh, the US Army. And uh, he is now starting to post on YouTube and, uh, and also on Instagram uh, short videos or comments that he feels illustrate the updates, uh, the pictures uh, that he has been releasing uh, with me over the last 15 years. So uh, this is an opportunity for people to hear from JP himself rather than uh, filtered through me. And so he, he does have a YouTube channel now. And so, yeah, you can just go to his YouTube channel and I will just get for you. Uh, you can see it. Uh, the the channel is uh, there. You go, JP, 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 JP one. So three JPs followed by a one. That's his YouTube channel. So you can uh, see what 
videos he's been releasing so here's the one that just that just came out um a few uh five days ago uh, the artemis accord now uh, let's uh, look at this webinar that uh elena Danan did uh, on uh, february 25th that was a uh, sunday and it was a fascinating webinar i I thought that it was very helpful in understanding that the kind of wisdom that is valued by different extraterrestrial civilizations, especially the Anunnaki or this or the faction connected to uh, Ia or Enki, that uh, he values knowledge and wisdom. And so she was taken aboard the Nibiru mothership and she got to see an ancient library on the the mothership and was told about the origins of the emerald tablets uh, which were originally uh, well i guess written or kind of uh, downloaded into human humanity's uh, repository of knowledge by uh, figures such as Toth and Nilish Zida, she was told about that, and much more wisdom possessed by the Ia Enki faction of the Anunnaki. So this, this is something that is very helpful for us as we move into this civilization where open contact is occurring, that uh, some of the extraterrestrial civilizations value wisdom and knowledge above all else. Others are more interested in conquest, domination. Uh, so in, in a way, you know, those tendencies, those human proclivities that we know all too well, but like just looking in the world around us, some people are oriented to acquire wealth, capital, others to towards uh, achieving military uh, glory, domination, and others are motivated by wisdom and knowledge. And so extraterrestrials are the same. And so this particular faction of the Anunnaki, the Ia Enki faction, values wisdom. And I, I, I would guess that many watching this also value wisdom. And so this is a, a good fit. This is where we get to learn what this Ia Enki faction of the Anunnaki has on board the Niburu and why it's important. Okay, so I did an interview with uh, Brad Olson uh, that uh, came out uh, this this week where he discussed his trip to Laos or Lao in the uh, Laotian language, but in English we say Laos. So uh, Laos, he went to a place called the Plain of Jars and found what was it over a thousand huge jars two to three meter jars that uh, local legends say were used by giants so you can imagine how big these giants would have been if they're using two to three meter jars for for some purpose so he discussed that he discussed how uh, the u.s secretly bombed uh, laos during well even before the Vietnam War, in the lead up to the Vietnam War, presumably to uh, cut off supplies through the Ho Chi Minh Trail, but he suspects that the, the goal was really to decimate this uh, uh, plane of jars, uh, destroy it as much as possible because he didn't want, or the US didn't want the truth to come out about this being connected to ancient civilizations known as the Nephilim or, or demigods. And, and I think this, because the US didn't have control over this area of the world at the time, they decided to bomb it. And uh, so very sad, but, but I think uh, Brad is correct that that's probably why they did it. Okay, so, okay, there was a report uh, by a UFO researcher that uh, a the historical study of government involvement in ufos will probably be released to the public uh sometime in early march uh, and the date 
that was given uh, by this particular UFO researcher, uh, Stephen Greenstreet, was uh, March 7. Uh, but a Pentagon spokesperson, Susan Goff, uh, didn't commit to any particular date, but just said, soon. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, this uh, historical review of UFOs, um, it, according to the National Defense Authorization Act, I believe it's for 2022, uh, it requires that the report shall focus on the period beginning on January 1st, 1945, and ending on the date which the director of the ARA office completed activities under this subsection. So it this report is going to be a historical overview of UFO reports going back to 1945. Now, I don't expect it to yield much in the way of kind of details for these, uh, like these historical cases, like uh, say the Roswell crash in 47 or the Aztec crash in 48. Uh, we're probably going to get a lot of statistical data about uh, UFO crashes. That's going to be uh, pretty boring. But yeah, this this is just starting the process, I believe. Okay, so here's something that uh, was cited concerning Tom DeLong. I'm not sure when he made this quote, if it's recent or something that uh, he said a long time ago. And I guess it was in response to uh, this viral video of a, of a giant fight. Well, I guess there were probably a couple of dozen people involved in a UFC uh, fight in Mexico. Uh, I think Mexico City, and so it just, and so there were people fighting, and so uh, Tom DeLong had said at some point, and it was cited uh, by this uh, researcher, the one, um, who Tom DeLong said, quote, the UFO phenomenon is about multiple gods that fight amongst themselves and by design factionalize mankind into different religions to step back and let us fight each other. A government knows that. It knows that the others are instigating wars among mankind. Now, you know, this is, to my mind, a very important point, and I think it's essentially correct. It's something that William Bramley, uh, Jim Mars, and others uh, have said in their books. Uh, William Bramley wrote the book uh, The Gods of Eden in, uh, in, in the mid-'90s. Uh, that was followed by Jim Mars, uh, the, I think it was the alien agenda. Uh, David Icke has said things along similar lines. So this is not new, but I think it's very important to keep in mind that that the UFO phenomenon uh, does involve beings that have been considered historically to be gods and that they have manipulated uh, mankind. And it's very interesting if you look at some ancient texts. I think it was um, uh, Hesiod. Uh, it may have been uh, or Herodotus. Maybe it was Herodotus. Herodotus, he described how the gods were allotted portions of the earth and that they that was their domain and that they were commanded to um, multiply or expand their holdings. So uh, kind of like um, you, you know, you might get, just think of, say, uh, elites in the corporate world who are constantly seeking to uh, maximise their profits, maximise their uh, their companies. And so the, the, the gods or the ETs on Earth have had a similar kind of attitude towards different territories on Earth and the peoples that inhabit them and have used them to... Uh, develop a religion worshipping them, but also to expand and control and attack other the other fiefdoms belonging to uh, rival gods. So uh, that that is a very important point, and I think it uh, applies today, right now. What we are witnessing around the world, I I think that if you go to the sources of this. You find out, you know, who's behind the deep state. You'll find that uh, the the war in Ukraine, uh, the war in Israel-Palestine. Again, if you go behind the scenes, you know, the deep state 
who uh, whose orders are they following again i think you will end up with these beings these gods or these ets pretending to be gods okay so this was something that was very interesting uh, there was a story in Sky Fire News, and uh, this was uh, something that Richard Doty, a retired Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent, says that he learned of, he learned about during his time in the Air Force that that there were five alien species, and so here you have them uh, displayed. Uh, you, know, you, you see a, a, some sort of grey, an insectoid, another sort of grey, a reptilian, and then a human-looking species. And he said that there, there, there are five. And he didn't really kind of like emphasise that any of these were particularly friendly, just that they were five species interacting with the Earth. Some were incredibly aggressive. Others were uh, invasive in different ways. So, uh, But we know from other sources and and the one that i cited in my tweet here is clifford stone who was a, a former u.s army uh, sergeant i think he reached the rank of uh, e e6 uh, staff sergeant uh, from 1969 to 1991 he served for 22 years in the u.s army and he was called away from his normal duties to go and participate in UFO crash retrieval programs where he would be part of the kind of first responder team that would go into the crashed craft and he would render assistance to the any of the EBEs that were injured because uh, clearly the people conducting the crash retrieval operations preferred to find live extraterrestrials rather than dead ones because uh, live ones you could interrogate find out why they're here and so forth. So he, uh, Clifford Stone says that um, in approximately 1979, 10 years after he began, he was given a, uh, he called it the EBE uh, manual, and he said it had first aid uh, procedures for 57 extraterrestrial civilizations, 57. So, you know, that was back in 1979. Now, Richard Doty, he served uh, around the same time. Well, actually, probably, yeah, around the same time. But he says he only he only learned of five. So uh, I think Doty probably wasn't given the full picture. Uh, he probably didn't have a need to know. Whereas Clifford Stone clearly had a need to know because if he's going into crashed UFO craft, rendering first aid, when it was needed and conducting telepathic communications with any injured EBEs, he would need to have some knowledge of um, whatever first aid he could give them that you, know, you don't want to give iodine to a species that maybe is has a chlorophyll kind of like blood supply and the iodine might kill them as opposed to a human that would help them heal or recover. So, so this EBE uh, handbook, uh, uh, Stone says, was first seen by him in 1979. So that was, so we're talking uh, 45 years ago that there were known to be 57 races visiting the Earth and uh, there have been uh, many more races that have been identified. I think it's well over 100 now that are, that are visiting and interacting with the Earth. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, there's this new illustrated handbook uh, by Elena Danan that discusses each is, each of the races and gives you uh, colour illustrations for each of them. Now, Christopher Sharp, he is a journalist, investigative journalist, and he is the, I think, uh, the key writer, or, or maybe there are several writing for the Liberation Times. So he says that uh, whistleblowers that are ready to come forward and talk about what they know about crashed UFOs, retrieved alien bodies and so forth, but they have chosen to remain silent because there has been a orchestrated 
pushback against UFO disclosures. And so he points out that, uh, especially the, the former Arrow director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, he has played a, a very kind of like unhelpful role in being critical of whistleblowers like David Grush, who have come forward, saying that uh, you know these are uncorroborated and fanciful, and really saying that there's you know no substance to these, that this is re really kind of like sensationalism, and so that has led to other whistleblowers saying that or deciding that the time isn't right yet to come forward, uh, that you know, as long as this pushback continues, as long as you have people like Sean Kirkpatrick, who is now a, a consultant, a senior consultant to the Arrow office that he formerly uh, directed, but now he's a senior consultant, that uh, that is having a dampening effect on new whistleblowers coming forward. So, so that's uh, very unfortunate, uh, but we could expect that. Uh, and uh, interesting, uh, according to Christopher Sharp, uh, the, the Department of Defense's um, uh, office called DOPSA, which is uh, has been set up to clear any kind of publication concerning classified activities by any particular author to make sure that whatever they release um, is not classified, uh, that this DOPSA offer, office is apparently being uh, manipulated by uh, Sean Kirkpatrick to target whistleblowers such as um, David Grush. So that's uh, very unfortunate, but that is what is going on. Okay, so I announced uh, my new webinar coming up on March 23rd. Very excited by this. I have been fascinated by uh, crypto terrestrials. Uh, these underground civilizations for a long time. And in this particular webinar, I'm going to be, in the past, I have talked about some of the human underground civilizations, such as the Agathans and uh, the Talosians, and you know, talked about how they operate. In this particular webinar, I'm going to be focusing on the non-human crypto-terrestrials, the uh, the, the praying mantis, the or the insectoids, the um, the reptilians, the Sasquatch, and and how far back in history they go, and I think the the big takeaway uh, from this is that you know, these are truly the the ancient ones. These are the ones that have been on Earth for millions of years, even predating the human presence, and. And so they are vibrationally attuned to the Earth, to Gaia. So even though you may have insectoids visiting from other star systems or reptilians visiting from other star systems, of course, the Draco reptilian, very aggressive race, um, and there, there may be some kind of like genetic similarity between the two, we are talking about very different species. So in this webinar, what I hope to do is to point out the differences uh, between these ancient Earth-dwelling crypto-terrestrials, in terms of their own behaviour amongst one of them, uh, amongst themselves, with surface humanity, and with visiting extraterrestrials that have similar genetics but may have uh, agendas that are not really in alignment uh, with uh, Gaia. So yeah, that's going to be on March twenty-third, and you can uh, go to exopolitics.org to find out more information about that and to register. So now we are going to take a look here to uh, uh, John Warner, Warner IV, who I recently interviewed, and he took exception to a short video that, that made the claim that the Pentagon, uh, its geometry was created by accident, that it's happenstance. And John Warner pointed out that uh, he grew up in the Pentagon uh, because, I mean, he was like a, a teenager 
when his dad was the Secretary of the Navy in 1972. So, uh, so John Warner's father was uh, the Secretary of the Navy, and so he had a very senior position within the within the Pentagon. And so uh, Warner got to learn a lot about the true history of the Pentagon and different figures in there. And Warner uh, was someone that was uh, very relentless in asking questions of uh, people within official uh, positions. And, and because his father was such a senior figure, you know, first with the, as Secretary of the Navy and later as a uh, U.S. Senator and head of the uh, Armed Services Committee, that uh, people, senior people, we're talking four-star admirals, uh, would confide in John Warner the fourth and tell him things. So one of the things he learned was that uh, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and General George Marshall were both thirty-third degree Freemasons, and they knew the power of sacred geometry. And so the design of the Pentagon is by no means an accident. Uh, so, you know, here John Warner says that the, the Pentagon has the power to move roads and take over land in one second if it's a national security issue. Uh, so the, the claim coming from uh, the person that made this video that says that the odd shape of the Pentagon was, was due to kind of a... Uh, the difficulty of asserting eminent domain in that area of Arlington where the Pentagon was built is, is just bunk. That it was designed to be a Pentagon uh, by design, that the Pentagon actually is, uh, in terms of sacred geometry, closely aligned with the pentagram. And the pentagram, of course, is a five-sided five -sided star that's very much evolved in occult ceremonies. So there you have the, uh, that's the, the shape of the, the pentagon. It's, it's a, okay, and there, so this article uh, describes different fortifications, ancient forts, and uh, typically arranged as squares and so forth, and how the, the pentagon is arranged as a five-sided thing. And this, this was by accident, but as I said, John Warner uh, takes issue with that. Now let's uh, take a look at a video by Richard Dolan where he um, did, I think it was a, a one-hour video. I, I watched it because uh, Richard Dolan, he's a, a very, is uh, a is a very careful researcher. He is is very meticulous in in what he does in terms of uh, looking at historical reports, and so. He came up with a video on 10 key facts about uh, UAPs. He started to use the UAP language rather than, rather than the UFO language. And, and so yeah, he has his reasons for that. So he, he does a, a, a good job, I think, in, in covering in a short period of time uh, worldwide UFO reports, uh, USO reports, that is unidentified submersible uh, objects. Uh, craft that come out of the oceans, for example, or lakes, uh, UFOs interfering with Navy ships, Russian UFO reports, uh, UFO crash retrieval. So I, I think he does a good job in presenting some key facts on that. Now, that he finished in a way that surprised me. Um, he didn't mention contactee reports. Uh, that is, people who have entered or traveled inside UFOs and extraterrestrial spacecraft rather than simply seeing ETs from a distance, uh, what is uh, that what Alan Hynek called a close encounter of the third kind. Um, now, he did cover sightings of UFOs from a distance, but you know, for some reason he didn't think it was important to mention the fact that there are a lot of people, contactees, that have gone inside of the UFOs or the USOs. And, and that is a, a bias. That is a, something that is very unfortunate among many UFO researchers that do like to take that kind of very guarded, 
careful approach of saying, well, everything we say is documented by facts and we're not going to say anything that goes beyond established facts. So you can do that, but you're going to miss the big picture here uh, because going all the way back to the 1950s, people have been reporting that they have been going inside of the extraterrestrial spacecraft, that these reports really are, if you use Alan Hynek's classification system, like a close encounter of the first kind is a, um, uh, let, let's see, uh, close encounter of the first kind, uh, you see an, an artifact, or some sort of UFO artifact, a close encounter of the second kind, uh, you see a, a UFO, I, I may be messing that up, uh, but a close encounter of the third kind, uh, you see a extraterrestrial entity up close. So a close encounter of the fourth kind, if we follow Hynek's classification system, would be to see a extraterrestrial up close, to interact with them, to go inside of their, their craft. So it's very interesting that Dolan uh, doesn't cover these close encounters of the fourth kind. And he's not alone. There are many other UFO researchers that are very skeptical of people that claim to have gone inside of the spacecraft, uh, whether they belong to extraterrestrials or whether they belong to secret space programs. Now, I earlier on mentioned JP. Um, in 2015, JP began sending to, to me dozens of photos of UFO craft that he has witnessed near a major military base, MacDill Air Force Base, and that he also went inside, um, or he saw up close. Now, some of the occupants were extraterrestrial. Some of the occupants belonged to a secret space program. And the thing about JP, it wasn't just the story. I mean, he had photos, and I had released this on my website, but no one really bothered. Uh, conventional UFO researchers have this blind spot where as soon as anyone starts talking about going inside of a spacecraft, whether it's a extraterrestrial craft or whether it's a, a reverse-engineered craft belonging to a secret space program, it's like conventional researchers just, you know, it's like they just don't want to know about it or they're very skeptical and, and dismiss it. And so that's a that's a that's a shame because there are very credible people talking about uh, contact cases and uh, secret space programs. And one of the most credible is William Tompkins, and uh, he worked uh, for the U.S. Navy during the Second World War. And also, he uh, was wor he worked with the um, Douglas Aircraft Company from nineteen. 50 up until 1963 and was involved in the first designs of a, a U.S. Navy space carriers. And so there's a lot of evidence he's presented to support that. But unfortunately, as I said, uh, UFO researchers have this blind spot where they will not seriously consider uh, people claiming to have had contact with extraterrestrials or have been involved in uh, interacting with uh, uh, beings or uh, groups involved in secret space programs. So to me, this, so this what this says is that people who are putting out a lot of good information, as Dolan does, I think he does put out a lot of good information on UFO reports, USO reports, Russian reports, uh, some of the material on UFO crash retrievals, but if, if you're not going to cover extraterrestrial contact cases, if you're not going to cover the information contactees are getting firsthand from extraterrestrials, you know, people like Alain Danan, JP, uh, going all the way back to George Adamski, if you don't cover those stories, then you're missing a big part of the picture. Similarly, if you don't cover people who claim to have been part of secret space programs, then you are missing a big part of the picture. And today... We are in an era of greater transparency. And, and while I will cut some slack for UFO researchers who genuinely 
want to like just focus on documented hard evidence supporting um, all of their claims. I, I think we need to understand that we are at a point where the truth has to be revealed. And and if you're not doing that, then you become part of the problem that you're actually promoting a limited hangout. And so that I think is really ultimately uh, the, the, the failing of veteran UFO researchers that are, are putting out a lot of good information, but because of their bias, because of this kind of inherent cautious approach to the data, they will not cover contactee and secret space program witness reports. Okay, so this was a, a really fascinating remote viewing. This was, uh, this was something uh, that involved five remote viewers uh, that are part of the uh, crypto viewing team. And so they remote viewed uh, this rapture or a global religious event. Uh, at an unknown time. And so this was a double-blind experiment. And in this double-blind experiment, uh, the uh, the target was, was given to... Uh, you have the, the, the coordinates for the, t uh, for the target was given to a second person who, who didn't know what the target was. He just had the uh, target coordinates themselves and then handed them off to the five remote viewers. So, you know, the double blind, I think is very important for remote viewing. And it's very, this is very controversial because I, I think that there is a subtle influence uh, in single blind remote viewing where the person handling the targeting can influence the remote viewers because of their very strong uh, beliefs because of some overwhelming or some kind of grand narrative that they have concerning extraterrestrials. So this is where the this is where the double blind remote viewing protocol really stands out because it prevents a, a, a targeter who has a very strong uh, belief system concerning some phenomena and subconsciously can be influencing the remote viewers even though they're just giving the remote viewers a set of targets the the person handing off those targets because they know what the target is subconsciously can be influencing the remote viewer that's why you have double blind experiments that's why the military early on decided to do double blind remote viewing because they understood that the most accurate remote viewing, that the cleanest remote viewing, is where the targeter, that is the person who is handing over the numerical targets to the remote viewers, doesn't know what it is. Because in handing it over, their subconscious beliefs somehow get transferred. And so I think it's very important. So this double-blind remote viewing involving uh, the crypto viewing team, or now they, I think they're calling it uh, future forecasters. Okay, future forecasters. All right, so they've changed their name to future forecasters. And so they did this remote viewing of the ascension, of the rapture, of the, of the harvest. And this is something that has been discussed, uh, I think it was probably from 1981 to 1984, uh, where you have the harvest being discussed for the first time. That was in the raw material. So the raw material discussed the harvest at length. And ever since that time, there's been a lot of people that have been talking about the harvest, uh, the, the rapture that that is also uh, very popular in terms of Christian literature. Uh, there's been a very famous set of um, uh, books that have come out. Uh, about the rapture and uh, movies, television movies uh, made about the rapture. So there's the rapture series. And uh, more recently, especially with uh, people engaged in QHHT or quantum healing hypnosis technique, that uh, many of these people have been talking about the event. And so what these five remote viewers did using the double blind protocol was that they were able to confirm the event is real, that it's coming. 
and they envisage some kind of splitting of humanity where one portion of humanity would go down the path of uh, evolving consciousness, organic consciousness, ascending, whereas another portion of humanity would go down a path of uh, high-tech becoming hybrids and cyborgs and um, the whole transhumanist agenda. So uh, they see that split as, as coming down the road. So very, very interesting and significant that you have these five remote viewers uh, all seeing this kind of split coming or that this event, harvest or ascension is is coming. So, so that is uh, a very significant thing. Now, uh, you can watch the trailer on YouTube and if you want to watch the whole thing, I think it went for about an hour and a half, uh, you have to subscribe to their channel. But it's well worth it. I, I, I think um, uh, Dick Orgaya, he does he and his team do a good job in presenting very clean data on a range of events, uh, some of which involve these kinds of extraterrestrial related topics. They call them woo-woo topics, uh, but the, the topics that, uh, that I or exopolitics researchers are very interested in. Okay, so that was uh, the remote viewing. Uh, here's a video that I thought was very well done by the Wi-Fi Wi files, where they uh, they they cover the whistleblower testimonies that Linda Moulton Howe has discussed uh, over the last uh, ten years or so, starting with uh, this um, Navy uh, navigator Ryan, who says that he flew over. Uh, the the South Pole and saw a big hole there that he was part of missions to retrieve scientists that were first missing and then he then he brought them back and and also talked about seeing fleets of silver shaped craft there um, and also uh, this video talked about uh, one of the uh, whistleblowers that Linda Moulton Howe co uh, covered that is uh, Spartan One who talked about going to Antarctica and seeing a big picture, a big um, black, I think he's described it as a, a kind of pentagon shaped or a five-sided five, five uh, shaped structure there in, the, in, um, in Antarctica. So there has been a more, uh, more insiders uh, in addition to those covered by the Y files, but um, this is, I still, I think it's um, well worth taking a look at, especially for those that aren't aware of these particular whistleblowers that Linda Moulton Howe interviewed, Spartan One, uh, Brian, uh, because I think they kind of set the scene for what has followed with other whistleblowers. And, and, and I, I wrote a book, uh, Antarctica's Hidden History, where I talk about multiple whistleblowers, insiders that have described what's really going on in Antarctica. Uh, also, dis also more recently, I've uh, described um, insiders, witnesses, uh, participants in secret space program who have also gone to Antarctica. Jean-Charles Moyen, uh, JP, uh, they are two people that come to mind with uh, significant information on Antarctica. So uh, why the Y files well worth watching. Okay, so here's the update that JP just did where he went into a underground cavern. He wasn't sure where it was. He just described uh, being taken there on a Black Hawk helicopter that once he entered the, the Black Hawk, uh, there were five soldiers all together. He, uh, he and the others, they were a squad of five soldiers. And that once they entered a Black Hawk helicopter, there were other Black Hawks there, pardon me, with um, soldiers on them, and that they all flew in formation to some secret location. But JP didn't know what that location was because uh, soon after boarding the Black Hawk, uh, they were given an injection and they blacked out. And then they woke up and they were at the facility. And at that facility, uh, JP describes seeing this giant castle 
in a underground in an underground icy cavern and so uh, JP describes going to this um, place and you can see oh well, here, here you have on the left you can see uh, JP's uh, illustration I mean he, he used uh, AI along with uh, his kind of uh, detailed information about what it was that he saw so this is what the ai rendered and jp says it's pretty close to what he saw in this giant icy cavern in an unknown location now jp says that while there uh, there were these uh, there was a huge repository of gold bars that were shaped uh, like frisbees just kind of like um, circular frisbees and he says that um, his people were loading them into these uh, shipping containers, and each of the shipping containers had a different international location on the manifest on the side. So they knew that they were being shipped to different uh, locations. So JP says that uh, his primary role, he and the others, their primary role was to be a witness to it all. But for about an hour, they helped load one of the containers with the gold. He says that there was a Nordic extraterrestrial and a, and a gray there observing everything that was going on. So that's very important. That gives us an idea, a clue that this uh, gold was being uh, shipped internationally uh, because there was an agreement that extraterrestrials uh, were a party to or were acting as a guarantor for. Now, why was that happening? Why was the gold being distributed? Now, for that answer, I, I think I did a follow-up tweet, which I think uh, gives us a clue. Uh, let's see. This is an article uh, that Joseph Farrell, Dr. Joseph Farrell, he's got a website, the Giza Death Star. He does put out a lot of really interesting uh, material and and here he did an article uh, analyzing the gold the gdp ratio of the major players so he analyzed uh the gold to gdp ratio and so here you have russia in terms of uh their gdp and the percentage of gold that they have in reserve he said that russia has 8.3 percent switzerland 7.6 italy 7.4 so forth the us has a miserly two percent Um, China, less than 1%, <clears throat> and the United Kingdom, 0.6%. Uh, now, according to Joseph Farrell, now I'm not a financial expert, so uh, you know, don't take my financial advice for anything, and especially on Telegram or on YouTube um, or Instagram or anywhere that someone approaches you using my name, offers you financial advice, that is a hoaxer because I know very little about finances. So don't don't take my word either. Either people impersonating me or me physically, I, I don't know that much about it, but I, I defer to experts. And Joseph Farrell, I think he makes a very good point that in order for a currency to be gold packed gold backed you need to have about 10 percent of of your gdp in gold reserves so uh that that means that uh the gross domestic product of the united states i think it's somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 30 trillion dollars so that means that for the u.s for the U.S. to go to a gold-backed currency, the U.S. needs to have approximately $3 trillion in gold reserves. Um, so, so and, that, and that's the same for all these other countries in terms of their GDP and the amount of gold reserve. So what this, to me, what this suggests, what JP witnessed, that is, to me, the answer here is that while why are these uh, why uh, why is this huge international 
um, consortium receiving all this gold that is coming from some location, probably in the US, northern US, somewhere where there's a giant ice cavern, and um, it is being shipped internationally. I, I think it's because there is going to be a the launch of a gold-backed currency. Now, people talk about Nasara, Jazara. They've been talking about that for, for decades. Now, Alex Collier, um, uh, a good friend, uh, is, is much more knowledgeable on these uh, topics than I am. Uh, but my, uh, and he's been talking about this, the, the, uh, the, the financial reset, the RV, I think it's called the revaluation or something, uh, that I suspect that these claims of Nasara and Jasara, there's some substance to it, that the conversion from fiat currencies to gold-backed currencies is happening and that the extraterrestrials want this to happen because that, that I think, will uh, mean that the Earth will be much more stable and that the extraterrestrials are looking to the U.S. to ensure that this is what's happening and and if you go back um you go back to the jupiter accords in 2021 that elena danan described uh the the jupiter accords uh, what they uh what they uh, resolved was that the united states would be the chair would be the lead in setting up an international consortium of space-faring civilizations that would work with extraterrestrials to take control of our solar system and uh, that the US was, would now be responsible that they would uh, ensure that all the technologies, all the discoveries would be shared in an equitable way. Now, since that time, uh, we've, we have the, the launch of the Artemis Accords. The Artemis Accords were launched around around that time, and currently there are, I believe, 36 or maybe 37 nations that have signed on to the Artemis Accords. And I believe and the Artemis Accords really cement U.S. leadership in space affairs for decades to come. So why are nations lining up uh, behind to sign up the Artemis Accords? I, I think it's, it's because it's known that the United States not only has the world's largest economy or uh, certainly the, the world's most powerful military force, but that it is has been given this role of helping humanity move to a Star Trek future. So I think this is what all this is all this is about. This redistributing the gold is all about creating a Star Trek future uh, where US Space Command, is at the at the center of a future starfleet that will act as a guarantor for the Artemis Accords, which are civilian agreements between the Nash, uh, between NASA and the space agencies of other countries. Uh, but the, the militaries of these other countries, uh, they are they are signing onto something called this Combined Space Operations Initiative uh, that is being headed by uh, US Space Command, and, and that is the, the hub for a, a future Starfleet. So I think that's really what's going on here uh, with the redistributing of the gold plates, that uh, the United States is ensuring that there is going to be a replacement. This, I guess, is the revaluation that many people have been talking about for, for decades, or well, for many years, uh, that this is the financial reset is, is going to happen and we are going to move very shortly to gold-backed international currencies. So uh, the Federal Reserve note will no longer be legal tender in the United States and they'll probably have a gold-backed U.S. Treasury note. So that, that, I think, is what's going on. Uh, here is another clue as to the location. And this is something that I was uh, discussed with uh, JP in terms of uh, where he took off in Florida and where he ended up. Uh, he says he started off early morning, got back late at night. The whole thing took about 18 hours. Uh, as, as I mentioned, once he got onto the Black Hawk, 
he was, um, you know, he had a shot. He went to sleep. Woke up. He's at the he's at this giant castle, or they land near this giant castle. The mission is conducted. They get they get back into the black hole. He gets another injection. Then he arrives back. Um, now, well, one one of the things uh, I think that is important here is that uh, JP uh, send me a link to this story about these giant caverns in South Dakota uh, that have been tunneled out or hollowed out from former gold mines. So these gold mines in South Dakota have been hollowed out and apparently there are these giant caverns in there that don't want to do something in terms of uh, studying um, neutrinos. But I think that's the cover story. Now, why does JP suspect South, this this area in South Dakota is where he was taken to. Uh, we did some calculations in terms of how long it would take a Black Hawk helicopter flying at top speed uh, at, from uh, the base where he took off in Florida to South Dakota uh, for him to get off, uh, to do the mission, and to then get back on the Black Hawk, and then for that to fly. Um, the whole thing was we calculated it out to be about 18 hours, and that's about how long JP I was gone. Uh, and so th we suspect that uh, South Dakota was where this giant ice cavern is. Now, other people have speculated that, well, you know, maybe this black hole helicopter threw through a portal and ended up in Antarctica. I mean, that's possible. Maybe the Black Hawk helicopter had some kind of anti-gravity technology or had something else, but JP didn't see that. I mean, what he saw was, uh, I think it was five Black Hawk helicopters that were flying around when he arrived at the base to get on and then when he exited. And, and if you listen and see, this is uh, one of the things. Now, JP took a video of the departing Blackhawks. Now, one of the things to keep in mind, JP says that when he goes on these missions, all smartphones are confiscated. They're taken away. Um, so, so the procedure would have been he would have gotten onto the Black Hawk. He's greeted by one of the crew members, and they say, "Hand over all your smart devices." So they hand over all their smartphones to the crew member. The crew member keeps it locked up away. They go do the mission, come back. Okay, before they exit the craft. They give them back their smartphones, and now they leave the craft. Now, JP is now has his smartphone, and as he leaves, he takes a video of the departing helicopters. So this was a video that uh, of the departing uh, Black Hawk helicopters. So you, you can hear these. You, you can hear them. Um, and you see that there's approximately five, just as JP said, you see the lights. Now, of course, this is at night. JP said this happened around 11 o'clock at night, which is when they got back to the base. So it's at night. But you see the lights, and, and this is, and you hear the uh, the sound. So this is these are not craft using anti-gravity technology. So these are uh, Black Hawk helicopters that can fly up to 220 miles per hour. And they were, and you at, at top speed, they could reach this location in South Dakota. So, uh, but the important point here is, is not so much that this proves that uh, JP flew to South Dakota to that ice cavern that was covered in the story, the former gold mines, but it is evidence. You know, people always want evidence that JP is going on these missions. So here you have it, evidence. He took a video of the departing Black Hawk helicopters after his mission. So that is uh, very significant in my mind. Okay, so let's now go to the next story on Twitter. Uh, okay, so there was uh, a lot of speculation over this UFO sighting in Ukraine. And yeah, this was uh, covered um, by several sources and it really does show some kind of strange object that was filmed by uh, the Ukrainian military uh, who commented on it. And what is it? Well, I mean, UFOs have long been known 
to conduct surveillance missions, to, to monitor events uh, in war zones, to even, to even um, interfere if there's a threat of nuclear weapons being used. And uh, there have been more than one case of rumours where uh, it was that the Ukrainian military was going to detonate or launch a false flag attack on the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear facility um, in the Zaporizhia uh, region. So would UFOs intervene to stop a false flag attack that involves the detonation of nuclear weapons? Apparently so. Um, so, you know, that may, may be related to that. It could be related to these space arcs. I mean, JP and um, others have talked about a space arc buried in Ukraine. Um, so it's possible that this um, craft is, is related to that. So very, very interesting. Okay, so here's uh, the final tweet, and, and this concerns a statement by the Secretary of Defense for the United States military, Lloyd Austin, a former four-star general, who is saying that the consequences of Russia defeating Ukraine is that it's likely that there's going to be a war between NATO and Russia. Now, to my mind, in listening to this and listening to people like uh, Emmanuel Macron, the uh, president of France, saying that uh, European nations need to militarily place groups in Ukraine because the Ukrainian military is presently losing. In fact, in fact the Ukrainian military is collapsing. Uh, the, the front lines are beginning to collapse. Uh, there have been many astute observers of the Ukraine conflict. Uh, the Duran report, uh, Scott Ritter, uh, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, these are some of the more credible sources to my mind that describe the collapse of the Ukrainian military. And as that is happening, uh, the 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 western nations the deep state is in a is in a panic because russia is on uh is breaking through the the, the former defense lines of ukraine and is going to march westward and and so it now there seems to be a full-throated effort to have nato place armies it their own armies in western ukraine because what's happened is that not one not two but three Ukrainian armies have been set up and defeated um, during the two years of the war. And, and Ukrainian military is exhausted. There's no more men. Manpower is exhausted. They're, they're conscripting 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. Uh, uh, women are now fighting. Uh, this is... Uh, the, the Ukrainian military is collapsing and the deep state is wanting Europe and the United States to send NATO into Western Ukraine to have a direct confrontation, military confrontation with Russia if it advances um, into Western Ukraine, which is going to be happening uh, probably in the next few weeks. So that's how quickly the Ukrainian lines are collapsing. Now, to my mind, this is a bold-faced attempt to manufacture an end times Gog and Magog war by the deep state. The deep state wants to manufacture a third world war because the deep state has used prophecy and religious manipulation to implant the idea that the end times are going to involve a cataclysmic third world war, um, also called Gog and Magog. Uh, this is the Gog and Magog war. And uh, to, if you, if you don't, haven't heard of that, uh, then I recommend my uh, a webinar I did at um, the end of uh, 2023. And this webinar uh, describes this end-time scenario, describes the different religious uh, scenarios, the different actors involved, how prophetic texts have been used, uh, how there have been uh, deep state plans 
going back to the city of London um, in 2010. You, even previously, you had uh, the, in the Pentagon, you, you had the uh, four-star uh, general, who uh, General Wesley Clark, who described a plan to launch wars against six Middle Eastern countries, including Iran. Iran is the last country, is the last holdout. Um, and Iran was part of this region called uh, uh, Magol in ancient literature. So there is an attempt by the deep state to manufacture an end times war. Uh, thankfully, though, people are saying no to this. So more and more Americans are saying no. If you, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to go off and fight. Uh, we don't want American soldiers to go off and fight in uh, Western Ukraine in a war that's been contrived. And Europeans are saying pretty much the same thing. So the deep state is panicking. Um, I, I doubt that they will succeed um, in getting NATO to go to war against Ukraine, but they're going to give it a shot. They are trying. And, and so this is where people need to stand up and say, no, uh, we need to be very clear that, uh, that under no circumstances should US or European uh, troops face off against Russia uh, because uh, be, because this war in Ukraine was contrived. Uh, it was not Russian aggression. It was a contrived war that gave Russia no choice but to intervene if it was going to protect the Russian-speaking communities of eastern Ukraine. And similarly, uh, Israel-Palestine, uh, what what's happened recently in Israel-Palestine uh, is also part of this Gog and Magog war effort by the deep state. So that's it uh, for this uh, week in review. Uh, again, I have a webinar that's just been announced for March 23. Uh, you uh, can uh, register, learn all about it. I think it, it is going to be uh, pretty essential to find out what it is that the inner earth non-human crypto terrestrials are thinking about surface humanity what we're doing what their response is and what wisdom they have to share i, I think these are beings uh, that we need to uh, be cognizant about but also to begin engaging in a dialogue with so uh, gen uh, so definitely i hope you can join me on march 23rd for my next webinar but that's a great way for you to kind of support my work uh, these uh week in reviews all my interviews they're all put out for free uh, the only way i get remunerated is through webinars and books so you signing up for my webinar that's uh, that's a, a great way to ensure that i can continue to put out a lot of uh, free material for your viewing so Thank you for watching and aloha. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.